the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the discouragement many pastors are feeling. And then we're going to be joined by Dr. Emily McGowan as we talk about Trinitarian theology and how it affects our day-to-day lives. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. And how are you today? Well, Brian, it's not just any Tuesday it's not. afternoon. It's Star Wars Day. It is Star Wars Day. <laughs> May the Force be with you. That's it. That's the That's only all. thing going on today. Nothing no, else going it's on. Brian's birthday today, everyone. Love the music. That <laughs> Happy is birthday wonderful. to you, Brian. Thank you. And I, I came into studio to some gifts, a uh, Starbucks card, which is wonderful, but people who know our top five list will appreciate that you made me a Blossom t-shirt. I did. I made you a Blossom t-shirt. <laughs> that is so funny. And little Freddie Savage from the Wonder Years left you a present, too, an <laughs> autographed picture. Just so funny. So, yes, it is my birthday. I am... 44 years old Woo-hoo! today. and You've got lots of wisdom for just me now. so much wisdom. I'm so much older than you now. And it does. It's weird, right? When we get this age, like, I think you asked me, what are you doing with your day? I'm like, I don't know, working? <laughs> My kid has a baseball <laughs> so game <sad>. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you can at least wear your Blossom t-shirt and I do will, something now special. Now that I have it. Now yeah. that I have it. Yeah. Uh, so yes, thank you for that. It is my birthday today, and uh, yeah, so this is just going to be a show of celebration for me. We're How just going to we talk that? all things Brian. I also didn't know until like two years ago that that this was considered Star Wars Day, and oh, I was like, why? Right. And then someone's like, May the Fourth be with you, and I'm yes. like, Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, no, that's a cultural phenomenon. I guess. So you could watch a Star Wars something in your Blossom shirt and eat. <laughs> cake in my philosophy feels like a great birthday we are going to do a top five list later that is uh i got to choose the top five list for my birthday today so we are going to do a top five list of our favorite candies that'll be fun because i am a huge candy person are you i didn't know this about you okay so that'll be good lots to learn yes we are going to do that so we're glad you're joining us it is a special day for me today and uh, what better thing to do than a radio show i mean really what else could you want for your birthday besides being here on the common good with the good folks the good listeners who are celebrating with you in their car or their kitchen right the now. Common gooders. The common, common gooders. Goodies. <laughs> common goodies. Common gooders. <laughs> That's what we'll Let call us them. know on social media what you want to be called. That's what we'll call them. So uh, most people who listen to the show know that you and I are both pastors. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of COVID, uh, uh, people don't I, – I, sometimes I'm, I hesitate to say stuff like this because everybody's had it hard yes. during COVID. But I don't think people realize some of the unique difficulties that it's been to be a pastor over the last 15 months. Because not only have we had to navigate things that we've never thought about navigating. Mm -hmm. Should my church be open? Should my church be closed? Mm -hmm. Do we need signups? How do I do this? And then you've got what what has made it really difficult is people in your church, like in culture, all have different ideas. Right. 
And for some reason, people have felt an increase. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe you don't. An increased um, invitation, we'll put it this way, to share these thoughts with their pastors. You said that very gracefully. And so uh, I want to read some tweets that I think got me thinking about this. But just what's the last year been like for you and your husband as you've led in a church uh, throughout the pandemic? I mean, I feel like I keep putting regular PSAs on Twitter that say, like, just a reminder, your pastor has never led in a pandemic before. (laughs) Be kind and gracious. You know, (laughs) it has been a really hard year. And, you know, aside from, like you said, the whole world, it's been a hard year. But I do think there's been a specific hardness as pastors because lots of people have lots of different opinions about how you should be doing your job. And there's been a lot, I feel like, of pushback, anger, disrespect, division. And I don't just mean at our church, Renewal Church. I just mean, like, in general, I'm hearing that from pastor friends. Like, any move you make is not the right move. Yes. And so it's, you know, I feel like this has been one of those years where a lot of my pastor friends are like, should I be a pastor? Has God called me to do this? You really have to lean into like the calling God has given you because it's been interesting and, to say the least. And that leads us perfectly into two tweets that were posted. One particular, particularly from two days ago that was getting a ton of traction. We, we quoted this guy's Twitter feed the other day, Dan White Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said this. I've had 28 pastor friends resign this year. Almost all of them are transitioning to a new vocation. And then he asked this question, what is occurring? And then somebody else by the name of Michael Graham, uh, he tweeted in response to this. He said, I'm in touch with 75 pastors per month, and I can attest a similar attrition rate right now. I know others who are just barely hanging on. So there's some anecdotal evidence, right? This isn't a Barna survey or anything. This is anecdotal evidence going, not only has it been difficult, but there seems to be a flood of pastors leaving the pastorate right Mm -hmm. now. Because that's what made Dan White's stuff interesting. I saw a Vanderblumen thing. If you don't know, uh, Vanderblumen does uh, a lot of church staffing, right? They're kind of the headhunters in the church world. And Vanderblumen has been writing now since a couple months ago. Uh, that there's going to be unprecedented turn unprecedented turnover in churches as we come out of this wow. pandemic, and wow. he's basically saying you need to get ready for this. Wow. Dan White here going, I personally know 28 people all going into different vocations. This other guy going, I'm. So what's going on here? Because it's one thing to say it's really hard, right? And I think you and I would both say this last year has been really hard yep. in some unique ways for pastors. Yep. Again, it doesn't mean it's been altogether harder than the teacher or yeah. the plumber or whatever else, yeah. but different in a different way. Yeah. Uh, but it's one thing to say it's been really hard. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to say I'm throwing in the towel. I'm quitting. Yeah. Right. And so what do you think's going on there? Why do you think so many pastors, anecdotally at least, seem to be getting to that spot? I wonder just, you know, being in tr- the church plant pastoring world myself, like I wonder if, if a lot of these pastors came into COVID already sort of burnt out. Oh, that's a good call. And um, this was sort of the impetus they <laughs> either needed or used or triggered to just say, I can't do it anymore. That's right. I am too exhausted. I'm too worn out. I can't. I just, you know. And so my guess is if you weren't burnt out and you had a good team around you, perhaps you were able to like push through and, and keep going. But I, I'm guessing this triggered some things that were already happening in the hearts or the lives of pastors. I think that's a pretty a pretty wise view because I think. You also read that quote, uh, that stat from Barna, I think, that said 20% of the churches are going to close, not yeah. make it out. Of, I think most of those churches were probably on a bad pathway right. beforehand. And so I do think you're right. And I also think um, 
what do a lot of us pastors get our juice from? If it's not, you know, if it's not like, hey, I'm I'm so wanting to connect to the vine. Yes. Like, let's just be honest. So many of us get like the thrill from I'm up in front of yeah. people and they're all like, amen, pastor. And totally. I'm going out with people. And right now, here's what's happening. Again, some of you want to deny this out there. Even if you're in person, it's different. Right. Because, uh, you know, you're preaching to people who are masked yes. or just not many people. So your church is smaller. Yes. Even if you're wide open, chances are your church is yes. smaller. It looks different. Yes. Preaching's different. Yes. Uh, your budget's down. A hundred percent. Yeah. Your, your budget's yeah. down. Mine's not. But you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> budgets are down. And so you start adding all of these. And, mm-hmm. and what I think it highlights is where a lot of us were putting our um, where we got our um, confidence mm-hmm. or what we got from it. Oh, how I preached, we're making budget, my church is growing yeah. numerically and all this stuff, all of that's been stripped away. Right. And now you're like, this job's not very fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what you think. I'm right about that. Well, I, I definitely think you're right about that. And the the good side of that, right, is, of course, that that means the Lord is sort of stripping the church of its idols and, and stripping church leaders of their idols. And so in one sense, you go, okay, God, this is really, really hard, but I thank you for this because mm-hmm. I needed to be stripped of some of this stuff. I was putting my... I was putting the wrong energy into the wrong things, you know? And so in one sense, I feel like it's a call back to like, what does it mean to shepherd a church? What does it really mean to serve people? What does it mean to be this underservant of Jesus Christ and not make it about you? So in one sense, that's really good. Um, Of course, the flip side is I do think there's just an exhaustion that church leaders and church goers Mm -hmm. have now. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take some time to come back to either a new normal or... I guess new normal is the right word. It's going to take some time to like breathe life back into everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so wanted to start there because I know a lot of people are just struggling right now, but I know we get a lot of pastors who listen. Yeah. And if, if that's where you're at, I think now's the time to kind of assess why am I feeling this way? Where are, where am I at? Well, coming up next, excited to be joined by assistant professor of theology at Wheaton College, Dr. Emily McGowan. Also the author of a book called Quivering Families, The Quiverful Movement and of Evangelical Theology of the Family. She also wrote a fascinating tweet about Trinitarian theology that we want to talk to her about. What I'm saying is we got a lot to talk to yeah, Dr. Well, McGowan about. She is about. brilliant. We're going to pick her brain for a while. We're excited to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for being with us today. And we are thrilled to be joined by the Assistant Professor of Theology at Wheaton College. Uh, Wheaton College has a place near and dear to all of our hearts here on the show. Uh, Her name is Dr. Emily McGowan. Uh, Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Happy to be on here with you. Well, we're, we're so really glad to have we're you. really glad that you took the time to join us. Hey, before we jump into the uh, many different directions we want to talk to you about, could you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure. Yeah. As you've already mentioned, I'm a I teach theology at Wheaton College. I mainly teach undergrad there, occasionally grad students. Mm-hmm. I'm also a priest in the Anglican Church of North America, and the canon theologian for my diocese, which is just a fancy term for a theologian on call for my <laughs> uh, in the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others. Um, I'm also married to a priest, and we have three children and a lovely black cat. <laughs> <laughs> What's your black cat's that's name? That's about it. Her, 
Her name is Jezebel. Ah, that works. That works. That's and, amazing. In, in my defense, it started out ironic, and then it just kind of stuck. And, and, you know, I love we her. We love her dearly, great. despite her name. That's great. It's fantastic. Emily, so you uh, tweeted something really fascinating recently, which is part of why we wanted to have you on the show today. I'm just going to read it and then have you respond, okay? okay? So okay. you wrote, whatever your end goal whether patriarchy, egalitarianism, democracy, socialism, or anything else, grounding an argument for social relations in the doctrine of the Trinity is a really bad move. The mysteries of our faith are not ideological tools. Just say no. I love it. <laughs> Tell us what led you to tweet that in general, and then why do you feel like that topic is so important? Right, yeah, yeah. So the, the original motivation for that statement was, there had been discussion on my timeline about uh, certain certain complementarian uh, teachers, so folks within the evangelical sphere who want to affirm hierarchy of gender between male and female, and some of them try to root that that way of thinking about gender in the doctrine of the Trinity, and in the process they end up uh, changing the doctrine of the Trinity to involve subordination between mm. the Father and the Son, and. Um, this, in my opinion, results in a kind of heresy. It's just it's yeah. a bad move. I, I get why they wanted to do it, but it's a bad move. It results in heresy, even if they don't intend it to. And so that discussion had been going on in my timeline, but I wanted to make it clear that I didn't just object to the Trinity being used in that way to support a kind of hierarchy in gender. I also object to being the, having, having the Trinity used to support any kind of um, social uh, ideology, whether we're talking about gender or politics or economics. I've seen it happen a lot where folks try to turn to the Trinity and then like leverage it to make mm. their own ideological point. Yeah. And the problem with that is uh, because we don't have insight into the inner workings of the Trinity, mm. we only know the Trinity as God has revealed himself in Christ and the Spirit um, as Father we don't know what the inner workings of the Trinity is like. Right. And so when we do that, we just project our ideas onto the Trinity, and then we read those same ideas off of it. Mm. And that's just not a good theological move to make. So I'd rather we just stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just avoid it altogether. I do don't do it. I do Let's like, yeah. worship the Trinity God. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, as we said, Aubrey and I are both pastors, and, and so when we have a theologian on call here, i, I got to ask— how do you even try to explain the Trinity to people? Like that's a that's a tough question, and and usually if someone asks me that, I kind of run away. Like, hey, I gotta go, because like, it's hard. Like, at what part? How do you explain the Trinity? And at what part do you just tell people, hey, there's a mystery here? Like you said, we've been revealed certain yeah. things, and let's embrace the mystery. How do you answer that question for people? Yeah, well, it absolutely is a mystery. This is the, the center mystery of our faith. Um, I think we have to start with the fact that the Trinity was not invented by theologians and ivory towers in order to torture people. Um, <laughs> the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity is attempting to make sense of the revelation we have received in Christ. You know, so we have this, this first century <laughs> Jew named Jesus, who we came to conclude was in fact God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And if he is in fact God in the flesh, then that has to impact how we understand the nature of God. And so as Christians pondered this over, you know, a couple hundred years or more, 
they realize that not only is God revealed to us as Father and as Son in Christ, but also also as Holy Spirit, and that each of these persons are equal in power and equal in essence, and yet one God, uh, constituting one being, one will, mm-hmm. and and one plan to save the whole world. Yeah. So it's not it's not just an esoteric doctrine. It's actually the ground of our reality. And it and expresses what we really believe God has revealed to us in Jesus. It's mm. good, um, Emily. I would say. I mean, I'm speaking generally here, but we aren't typically very Trinitarian in the American Church, even though we might believe we are or say we are. I'm not sure that we practice a yeah. Trinitarian faith. What do you feel like we're missing because of that? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed that, and I think we should probably be really clear. I'm. When I, when I see the same thing you do, Aubrey, that there are churches who are missing out on kind of the Trinitarian shape of our faith, I'm really thinking more about, like, free church evangelicals here. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of liturgical churches have Trinitarian language and mm-hmm. worship built into the structure of their worship. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have our own problems, okay, in liturgical churches. <laughs> <laughs> they answered everything. But it's kind of built in. But in churches that are kind of free church, that, that we kind of, choose each week how the worship service is going to go. We can we can lose track of the Trinitarian shape of salvation and the Trinitarian shape of worship and the songs that we choose mm-hmm. and the prayers that we pray in the way that we articulate the gospel. In my experience, at least, it tends to be either, it tends to be Jesus only or a kind of Binitarianism, Father and Son with no Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Spirit is often kind of left out. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are we missing out on? We're missing out on the full shape of salvation, I yeah. think. The full shape of what we are invited into, which is participation in the triune life. Mm. That's, that's what we get to be and do as Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Emily, you're, uh, as I said, you're a priest and also the canon theologian uh, in something called the Churches for the Sake of Others. Can you help us understand what is the Churches for the Sake of Others? What does it come out of? And uh, yeah, let us know a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so C4SO is how it's abbreviated, is a, uh, a diocese that's a sort of like a, a conglomeration of parishes, of churches, within the larger denomination of the Anglican Church in North America. Mm. It started out as a, as a church planting um, movement within the Anglican Church, and it was eventually um, made into its own diocese. We're led by our bishop, Bishop Todd Hunter, um, who is a, a very capable and godly man. And so our churches, because we started out as a church planting movement, are all over the country. We have churches, you know, all the way on the East Coast, West Coast, South, North. Um, and we're just, we're churches who affiliate based on mainly missions, uh, the mission to see the gospel embodied in, in North America um, as we follow Jesus together. Um, so that's that's what a diocese is. It's just a collection of churches led by our bishops. Gotcha. So we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Emily McGowan, Assistant Professor of Theology at Wheaton College. I also want to talk to her coming up next about a book she contributed to called Life Questions Every Student Asks, Faithful Responses to Common Issues. Let me just ask kind of on a broad scale, why did you want to be a part of this book? Like what, what drove you? I'm sure you get lots of uh, requests and lots of things to be a part of. Why did you want to be a part of a very practical book that's helping students answer questions? Yeah, well, I actually think that I have often had conversations with students in my office where I'm trying to help guide them through practical life questions, and I've thought to myself, man, I wish I had a way of taking this conversation and the fruit of this conversation and putting it into writing Mm. so that others 
could benefit from it. Um, and so this was an opportunity to do that. And, and I was asked especially to, to contribute the chapter on gender roles, mm-hmm. which is something that I, I feel passionately about. And so it was, it, I was happy to, to be a part of the project. That's actually something I wanted to ask you about, Emily, because you're a priest, you're a woman in academia, I'm a pastor, I'm sure you get lots of questions about being a female <laughs> priest, so I would love to know just what are the questions you are asked, and then how do you tend to answer some of those big ones? Right, oh gosh. This is a long <laughs> one, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably in terms of like people that I meet in person, when I meet folks in person, the question I get asked is just, how did you end up a priest? Like you were a Southern Baptist pastor's wife and now you're an Anglican priest. Like how did that happen? Yeah, that's a good Um, one. And it's a long story, probably too long for, for this particular uh, moment, but you know, it was a long story of change, growth over time, reading widely, studying the scriptures, seeking the wisdom of the spirit in our community. And eventually concluding that this sense of pastoral calling that I'd had since a teenager was not in fact rebellion against God, but the spirit's prompting in my life. Hmm. Um, the question that I get the most online is, of course, about the, the, the so-called limiting passages in, in Paul's letters. Yeah. Um, those are the kind of key passages that folks turn to, 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2 and uh, Corinthians 14. And the short answer there is that I just don't interpret them the same way that, that folks who think ministry is limited to men interpret them. Um, and I, it's not just me. There are a whole host of well-respected, uh, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving scholars who've concluded that those limiting passages in Paul are not universal prohibitions, but actual, you know, actually context-specific limitations. Um, and that if you look at Paul's ministry in, in a broad scope, what you see is that, in fact, Paul's gospel that he preached and the way he ministered freed women up and empowered them to lead, to teach, to, to prophesy, to to serve in a variety of ways. And so I think that reading Paul's passages as limiting women universally actually does violence to Paul's overall view hmm. of women and men in the body of Christ hmm. and, and his own mission in the way that he himself practiced ministry in the church. Wow. I just don't think it makes sense of it. Um, yeah. Well, that's, oh, I appreciate that. How, how long was that process for you? Cause you said you came out of a, um, uh, a background that, that, we saw things one way and through reading and stuff. Are yes. we talking, are we talking years, decades, still in process? Yeah. How, would you, how would you talk about that journey? <laughs> yeah. So I would say that process started in about 2007 when I started seminary. I began seminary fully convinced that women should not be pastors hmm. or lead in the church. And then it was about a 10 year process of exploring, like I said, reading widely talking with, with women who were in ministry, speaking with those who were against it, um, reading the best I could find, stuff I could find on the topic, yeah. and then discerning with, within my, my own family, my own church, um, what, what I thought that the Spirit was, was saying to the church on the subject. So it was about a 10-year process. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then once I changed my mind on women in ministry in general, it was another three years or more before I finally said, oh, I am in fact called. Mm, wow. <laughs> I, was okay. I was okay with women in general, but it took even longer for me to say, no, I'm called yeah. and I'm willing to accept this calling um, and step into it. And I will say that in that, in that process, my husband, 
and my bishop were actually a big part of me being willing to embrace that. Hmm. Hmm. Emily, what would you say to um, a female listener right now who might be in a similar position where she's like, oh, maybe I do feel called to ministry, but I don't know if it's okay. What just sort of words of encouragement would you speak over her? Hmm. That's a hard one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think I would say that um, to, to listen to that voice within you, um, to, to not just quickly dismiss it, listen to that voice, uh, study the scriptures, seek the wisdom of, of those whom the church has recognized to be faithful teachers and, and preachers of scripture, and, um, and, and also listen to the friends that you trust, the mm-hmm. members of community that you trust. Do they see and recognize within you the gifts that you are seeing and recognizing in yourself? Mm. Um, I would also encourage you to seek out a place where you have some freedom to ask those questions. Mm. Um, you can't, I don't, I didn't have the freedom to ask that question until I found myself in a space, an educational space where I could. Yeah. Um, and so maybe you need to find a safe space to ask and discuss those questions. That's great. And Emily, as we said, you're a contributor to life questions. Every student asks faithful responses to common issues. Uh, just wondering, uh, now that we've gone through or in the midst of a pandemic, hopefully coming out the other end of this here slowly but surely, mm-hmm. are students asking different questions now that we've gone through such a a crazy time? Or, or are you seeing it kind of go back to the questions that were pre-pandemic? You know, it's funny. I don't actually think they're asking the different questions. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the questions I'm getting are precisely the same. What I think is different is the intensity of the, the kind of weight that they're feeling about the uncertainty of the future, mm. about the uh, the weight of, of mental health challenges. I've mm. seen a lot more questions about that. I mean, mental health challenges were there before, but I think they've become more intense in light of this really stressful environment. Certainly. So it's not that they're different. They're just more intense and more, like, um, unshakable. What I mean by that is, like, they need to talk right now. Um, I have a lot of students who just... I, you know, do you have time this week? I really need to talk to someone, you know, soon. Wow. And so that's, that's been something that's been challenging as a professor to try to be, to be available and, and able to help them while also taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. you're going through this pandemic yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Emily, where can our listeners find out more about you, connect with you, learn all things Emily and all of the goodness that you're putting out into the world? <laughs> Yeah, so I have a website, uh, emilymcgowan.com. You can find out uh, about writings I've done online and published works there, but also where I've, I've spoken recently. And then I'm also on Twitter, at Emily McGowan. You can follow me there and interact there as well. And she tweets stuff that's so good, it gets it ends I up mean, on a radio show. I mean, she gets show. radio show because of it, yeah. <laughs> this is definitely a first. There you go, there you go. <laughs> Dr. Emily McGowan, again, is an assistant professor of theology at Wheaton College. Uh, priest, a canon theologian in the churches for the sake of others. Again, I find her at emilymcgowan.com. Emily, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, wonderful, so much Emily. For Thank you so today. much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Coming up next, Aubrey and I are going to do one of our favorite things, a top five list. Can't wait. Going to do that A birthday-themed one. There it just is. Just for you. Going to do wait. that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. So I told you it's my birthday today. (laughs) 
I want to do a top five list. Before I tell you what it's going to be, let's hear the awesome top five list intro music. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. There it is again. There it is again. I have the biggest smile on my face. I love it so much. So again, for my birthday, you said I get to choose the top five list. And here's what I want to do. It's going to be pretty, uh, not easy, but pretty straightforward. Top five candies. Top five candies. That's a fun one. Top five candies. And guys, these top five lists, they spawn all sorts of things. As I told you, Aubrey got me a birthday gift because it is my birthday today that came out of a top five list. That's right. A Blossom t-shirt because, well, you can never have enough Blossom memorabilia. Blossom fashions when you're a 44-year-old man. Yes, exactly. So, all right. Top five candies. Uh, I would like you to go first. Yeah, it's your birthday, so. And you told me, you warned me that you don't have many, and it's yeah. kind of like me with the superheroes. Yeah. Which, by the way, one of my children was giving me a very hard time about the other day. Really? Yes. Oh, we'll have to talk about that when we're done with our yep. top five list. I yep. want to hear about they that. They also questioned whether Batman's a superhero. I kicked that child out of the house, but <laughs> we're trying to reconcile. That was one of our big questions, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, okay, number five. So, yeah, I feel like you might be a little disappointed in my list, and you'll notice some themes on my list. But, okay, number five is good old-fashioned from the gas station, peach rings. Oh, gross. <laughs> From the gas station. <laughs> My son and I, by the way, the other day got in a very heated debate about whether you would eat one of those gas station hot dogs that's spinning on the I roller. I told you that, that this is my mom's oh, favorite snack is a gas have station hot dog point, in Tulsa. Have we already three weeks in already reached the point where we've had every conversation possible? <laughs> Either that or you're not a good listener. You've forgotten that I told you. 44. I'm 44. My oh, mind yeah, is going. Right. <laughs> uh, number five for me, this is a good way to think about it. Like, what would I get? Not a, just at the movie theater, but if I stop at the gas station, yeah. what do I get? Yeah. All right. Number five for me, red licorice. Oh, I love I love licorice. You will yes. see licorice appear on my list more and, than once. And actually. I like the big, the, the normal licorice, but my daughter and I were driving the other day, stopped at a gas station, and they, they have like bags of like little like oh yeah they're like licorice. little bite-sized ones so you do good not feel guilty for however many you eat You're yeah like, you feel Rah. like it's like a healthy snack <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right all right that's my number five what's okay, your number four number four this is why you also might be disappointed in me because i don't know if this is really a candy it's probably not broccoli <laughs> <laughs> no i'm going with a chicago blend garrett's popcorn the caramel cheese i mean it's sort of like if it was in a cluster say what De- I'm getting, same, yeah, Debbie's I know. You the same you guys, look from over there that I'm giving you from here. I knew. I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry. your list, though. You can go with stuff that's not actually candy. <laughs> you can candy. put it in quotes. Candy. You know what? If they put like a sugar, like outer shell to it, and then maybe, it would be candy. We dip it in chocolate. Dip it in then chocolate. it's candy. No, it's then it's some- chocolate covered popcorn. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, oh, I just closed my, not my number four. Oh, no. Yes. My number four is Twix. Oh, yeah. I love good Twix, old, but I always eat them standard. in weird ways. I will, like, eat just the cookie part and then, like, <laughs> so all sorts of weird ways. But I love, 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 love Twix. Yeah, Twix is a good old standard. You can't okay. go wrong with Twix. Okay, my number three is what you said for your number five, but I like raspberry licorice. You can get it in Amish country, FYI, and it is delicious. (laughs) We have now done, you have now done popcorn and Amish licorice. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's outstanding. This is a birthday gift for me. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. Uh, absolutely. Number three on my favorite list. I just can't wait till Debbie posts these, by the way. <laughs> People are going to be like, Aubrey, it's peach, disappointing. Peach rings, Garrett's popcorn, and Amish licorice. <laughs> I'm not a big candy eater, so I'm doing the best I can Number here. two for you is going to be pie. <laughs> All right. Number three for me, Skittles. Oh, Skittles. I don't like Skittles. Why? Too sugary? Too, no, uh, th- that should be the right answer. I don't like... Okay, I just said I like raspberry licorice, but I don't love a fruit candy besides that. And it's like, if I'm going to have it, I don't want... I don't know. I don't want like lime. Do you not like Starburst? No, I do, uh, no, I do really? not like Starburst. It makes me want to gag even just thinking about it. I don't like that. Whatever that genre is of candy, I'm not a fan. <laughs> the genre being... <laughs> Candy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we just learned a lot. I love the fact that you like Amish licorice, but you gag at Starburst. Yeah. No, I mean, you saying it gives me a gag reflex. I cannot handle Starburst. All right. Your number two, Starburst. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My number two is, uh, this is, I hope you'll approve of this. I don't need to. This is your list. Okay. All right. I need your approval, Brian. It's your birthday. Um, Sea salt and dark chocolate with caramel inside. What kind? A Slugworth Sizzler? A Wonka Scrumdiddlyumptious? Whichever's the biggest. Try a Wonka Scrumdiddlyumptious. Mmm, I, uh... Here's something you're going to learn about me. I'm not, even though I already said Twix and some chocolate is going to show itself in my list yeah. up higher, I'm not a big chocolate person. Interesting. And I'm especially okay. not like a dark chocolate person. Uh, whereas my wife, major chocolate person. Yeah, okay. She doesn't like Starburst, Skittles, yeah. all these things. Now, it doesn't make her gag, as you suggested, but... <laughs> Uh, that is a big difference. You have such an eclectic list. Like I'm looking at it and Debbie's having to write descriptions for yours and mine are like Twix. <laughs> All right. My number two. And my guess is you are not going to like these if you didn't like some okay, of the other let's ones. Hear it. Swedish fish. Oh, I actually do like Swedish fish. Okay. I like the texture of those. So, yeah. I grew up going to camp, a camp called Camp of the Woods, a family camp. And they had penny Swedish fish. And you'd like just... I just lived on them for a week. And yeah, so now those... I, not only do I love eating them, but it makes me feel like I'm on vacation. They're pretty so. uh, addicting, Swedish fish. Yeah, because they're so small. You're yeah. like, oh, just have one yeah. more. One yeah. more. Okay. Uh, any honorable mentions before we get to number one? I do have one honorable mention for myself. I mean, I'm myself. scraping the barrel here just for five, so I do not have any honorable mentions. What about you? Will you go ahead with your honorable <laughs> I was, mention? I was waiting for your honorable mention. Uh, <laughs> carrots dipped in chocolate. <laughs> Or like when you get apples and you dip it in caramel. Chocolate dip made with avocados and cocoa. You know when you have like apple slices and you dip it in caramel. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's practically a candy. candy. (laughs) That house you must have grown up in. Uh, My honorable mention that I wanted to mention here was uh, Tootsie Roll Pops. Tootsie Roll Pops. Yeah, Tootsie Rolls are, you know, they're, they're candy. Not just Tootsie Rolls. The Pops. The Pops. Yes. Okay. I am scared to ask what your number one is. I fear this. But Aubrey Sampson's number one candy is... So I feel like I'm really going against something I just said when I said I don't like fruity candy. Because this is a fruity candy. But <laughs> I surprising. I love all grape ca- flavored candies. Love and obsessed with grape flavored candy. So I'm, again, I'm throwing up some licorice. Grape licorice, especially grape crush licorice is the best candy. That's my favorite candy. I will eat it all the time. I'll eat it writing, driving, for breakfast, as a midnight snack. I love grapes. (laughs) I I love them. They're nature's other popcorn. 
I am struggling. All with the you. grape candy, I, especially grape licorice. I am struggling with your list. I told you I you would. I warned you. I'm sorry. Because A, you didn't pick a candy. You picked a all grape <laughs> candy. You're right. And two, grape anything is amazing. Like cough syrup. Yeah, grape cough syrup. That's really good. <laughs> it's, it's delicious. Funny. Man, I feel like my number one's now anticlimactic after that. But my number one candy, the thing my children get me for a gift. We need a drum roll for this, Brian. I would be disappointed if they're listening right now if I don't get this before the end of my birthday today. Uh, I get this at movie theaters no matter what. My number one candy is Milk Duds. Milk Duds are nutritious, too. They're rich with milk. Milk Duds are everyone's favorite. So be sure to have enough on hand. Milk Duds! Milk Duds are great. I love Milk Duds. You know what Milk Duds are good with? Grape soda (laughs) and Amish candy. (laughs) I was going to say Garrett's popcorn. (laughs) Throw them in your Garrett's Chicago Blend popcorn. If you get some some Amish licorice and grape cough syrup, nothing's... What are you giving kids, by the way, at Halloween at your house? Here, kid, here's some grape cough syrup. (laughs) I can't even talk. Here's some Amish candy, children. <laughs> oh, that's a good top five list right there. I don't Happy know. birthday, Brian. I learned so much about it. We didn't even get to the fact of how ridiculous peach rings are. <laughs> From the gas station. They are good, Brian. They I, are not ridiculous. I Wait, I have an honorable mention all of a sudden. I'm remembering ahead. another gas station candy. Um, Circus peanuts. <laughs> Please, no! 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 <laughs> Those are peanuts. <laughs> Can we just point out one more time? You said, I hate all fruit-flavored candy. You went all grape candy. We've, we've gone past that. I'm a complicated person, we've, right? We've missed the fact that your number one was peach rings. Peach. It's a fruit. Okay, I guess, yeah, that was a mis- a misspoke, a misspeak when all I right. said I don't like fruit-flavored candy. I feel badly for you to ask people to weigh in about what which one they like more. If you're into Amish licorice <laughs> and popcorn as your favorite candies, then Aubrey's your host here, but... Uh, let us know what you think. We'll put these up at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Well, that might be the highlight of my birthday right there. Send Brian some milk duds. Until my kids get me some milk duds tonight, that might be the highlight. Well, coming up next, we're going to have a little discussion about marriage. We're both married, both been married to 20 plus yep. years. Uh, how, uh, what is it? We're going to look at uh, some ideas about how do you make marriage work? How, does it, how do you have a long-lasting marriage? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about marriage and how to make it long-lasting. And then we're going to share an opportunity to provide life-saving food for children in Central America and the Caribbean. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome back to the Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, not only is it a big day for me because it's my birthday, but we—that might have been my favorite top five list we've ever done. That was a pretty phenomenal one. Okay, uh, we have both been married over 20 years. Carrie and I have been married for 21 and a half. You and Kevin, a little less than us. Yeah, right? we just celebrated our 20th in January. Yep. Isn't it a little crazy? Like, yes. Do you ever have those moments of like, oh, no, we're still newly. No, no, definitely no, not. not newlyweds. Yeah, yep. I thought we'd have it all figured out. By and now. then we're getting to the point, probably you guys, too, where we will have been married longer than not been married in life. And that's bizarre. So I believe for us that will come 
next year. Okay, that's next year for us, too, because so, we are 22. Well, I guess we're two years so away. So we were yeah. 22. Okay. Uh, and next year's our 22nd wedding okay. anniversary. But no, when you start thinking about dating and yeah. stuff, you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, it is odd. And so here's what I want to talk about. You and I, not only do we have uh, do we have experience in being married to mm-hmm. uh, to our spouses for over 20 years, we also, as pastors, do weddings. We do yep. premarital counseling. Yep. And one of the things that I try to implore people as they are doing premarital counseling when they are engaged, because I remember feeling this myself, there's somewhere along the lines we can blame Disney for this, right? This is what we as Christians do. We blame Disney, but uh, I think I you're like, where are we going with this? Right. I love Disney. Uh, uh, Disney. Blame fa- I know which. I know where you're going with this. They've given us this idea that that once you have that wedding, you're going to live happily ever after. Right, Everything right. is happily ever after. Right. And here's what I always try to tell people in premarital counseling: the the wedding day is the beginning. It's not the end. Yeah, that's good. It's not the start, but there's so much, especially with weddings. And uh, usually it's you women trying to like figure out everything you ever dreamed for a wedding. And uh, I want to argue with that. Well, I do. I want to argue with that because that feels very sexist. But we do enough premarital <laughs> counseling and I just did my sister's wedding that I'm like, yep, yep, it's true. true. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes seemingly uh, bad comments are actually true. Yeah. Right? So uh, that, that we think when we get to the wedding, I've made it. Now we go on a honeymoon, and the rest of my life is going to be yeah, like this honeymoon. Yeah, I've arrived. We might, we might I'm complete. Kids, right? Yeah, we might add a couple kids. Right, the old Jerry Maguire. You complete yep. me, right? I used that in my sermon yesterday, right, uh, two days ago. But it's the whole you complete me. Uh, and then what happens is you get into marriage and you have to figure out how to live with this other person. <laughs> right. Then you're married. <laughs> I, I remember when we first did premarital counseling, we told our our premarital counselor we'd never been in a fight before. And, and did they laugh at like, you? Yes, we thought this was like a badge of honor. Yeah. We got in our first fight uh, the week we were home from our honeymoon. Awesome. Uh, and it was had to do with the really important topic of how long dirty dishes could stay in the sink before they needed to be washed. <laughs> That's important. Those are the things that make a marriage. That was then followed up by... How long can laundry stay in a laundry basket before it needs to be washed? Yep, and I yep. thought I was right on that one because we were in an apartment where you had to pay to get your laundry done. But oh, wow. You were not right on that one, I'm guessing. Looking back, I don't know why Carrie stayed with me in that first year. Like There were enough times <laughs> where you're like, my goodness, you yep. married a child. Yep. And so uh, here's the question. Uh, and and there, Tim Keller wrote a great article that was posted at uh, at Relevant that's just titled this. Uh, Tim Keller, who we read here often, he wrote this. You never marry the right person. Mm. You never marry the right person, which is a sobering title. Right. Which is a sobering title. But here's the conversation I want to have. How does how does marriage make it? If you believe the statistics that 50 percent of marriages end in divorce, which might be high, but it might be 40, whatever it is. If marriages uh, have a high trajectory towards divorce, uh, I think it's because there's a lack of realism going into it. And so the question is. If Keller's right, you never marry the right person. If you and I are right that it's not have happily ever after, some people could be listening to that and be like, well, why would I ever get married? <laughs> it's so depressing, what right? That's the, yeah. the point. And so uh, how do you answer? How do you think that through? How have you and Kevin made it 20 plus yeah. years uh, if, if Keller's right here that you don't marry the right person? How have you guys done it? Um, <laughs> oh, marriage is hard. <laughs> uh, period. We all know this who have been married. Uh Elizabeth Elliot famously said that uh, married people are people who forgive each other every single day for the rest of their lives. Mm. And I feel like forgiveness and self-sacrifice are two of the biggest tools in marriage that really 
you do have to sort of just get over that. Did I marry the right person? Did I marry the wrong person? Thought process. Just delete it from your brain because that's not a helpful question. The reality is you're married, so you're in. Therefore, you're married to the right person. The person you married is the right person. So then you have to do the work, right? And the work often involves sacrificing yourself and forgiving the other person and asking for forgiveness. I, I would say, too, I mean, you know, we're joking about the dishes and the laundry, but those really are the things that make a marriage. 100%. And if you can honor the other person with those things that seem simple, sometimes annoying, if you can choose to love the other person in those small ways, you will bear so much fruit That's in right. your marriage. Because those are really the moments when, like, push comes to shove. Am I going to love this person? Am I going to serve them. And then I would say, you know, Kevin and I, I would say a few years ago, right after my cousin Cameron died, which I talked about last week, and I was really sick. It was a low point in marriage for us because it just changed everything. Mm. I mean, my illness transformed our marriage for that couple years. So we were in marriage counseling for a long time, just really like, we don't know how to make it through unless Mm. someone else helps us make it through. And and I think that's a key. If you need help, get help. Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, if you've been married long enough, you need help, period. And so for us, that gave us the tools to get back to like communication, loving each other, uh, putting in the other first. And just I think sometimes we can operate in marriage without like investing in each other's emotional banks or physical banks. And you have to sometimes like reset and start doing those things again. That's really good. Uh, Keller writes, the Christian answer to this is that no two people are compatible. Right. So you might be like, okay, then how do I marry the right person? Not the point of the article. The point of the article is you're not going to because no two people are compatible. Uh, It made me think uh, to your story there. I had a buddy who said this to me. He said, uh, we were talking about marriage counseling and and how some people are hesitant to get it. He said, listen, what I tell people is I can either pay for a marriage counselor or a divorce lawyer. Mm. It's going to be one of the two. That's good. And if I have to pay for a divorce lawyer, my wife's probably getting half of what I have. So he's like, I'm going to pay. Might as well invest in the marriage. He said it a little bit tongue in cheek, but that was his reasoning that they've been in a longstanding marriage counseling. I've heard it from other people as to like, you get your car tuned up. Yeah. Like you do these kinds of things. I know in my own marriage, Carrie and I have been married for 21 uh, and a half year. I don't think you say half anymore when it's that you many can. years. You can. That's it's good. We've been married for 21 years and I, I it's the greatest thing I've been a part of. Right? I love my marriage, but yeah. it's also the hardest thing at yeah. oftentimes. And, and when I make it difficult on us is when I get really selfish. I know totally. that when I'm thinking like she is not doing what I want. <laughs> Or, man, why won't she, like, X? Or yeah, this, yeah, yeah. And then the reverse is true. And what often happens is if we're in a bad spot, we're both being really selfish. Yeah, and it grows course. on each other. And at some point, one of us needs to go, hey, let's just talk about this. And then you realize, oh, I do love this person. Okay, yeah. let's talk about this. But yeah. some of us can get so dug in that we're like, nope, never going to talk about this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what just happened? And, hey, if you don't have kids out there, by the way, and you're young married, they complicate things. Kids complicate things. They bring up things you never even knew you were going to have to deal with. All of a sudden, you're thinking about your own childhood or your grandma or kids trigger things. Yes. But don't you say, I love that you said that, Brian. It's the greatest thing you've ever been a part of. I would 100%. say that, too. I mean, I love my marriage, and Kevin and I have fought for our marriage. And there is reward yes. for staying in, leaning in, fighting, doing the good, hard work of communication and loving and forgiveness. Yes. There is reward for it. And it's not just like reward in heaven. There is yes. earthly reward. You enjoy your spouse more. You build a foundation. You're on mission together. You're married your best friend. Yes. That makes it worth it. Yeah. If I could go back in time 21 plus years ago and I was standing at that altar and you gave me, I would a hundred times out of a hundred say I do. Yes. Even if I knew everything, I would a hundred out yeah. of a hundred say, I want to marry this person. Yeah. 
and and it's going to be awesome doesn't mean it's not hard at right, times. And right. I think sometimes as Christians, we don't acknowledge that. The marriage can be tough. Marriage can be tough, but Definitely. man, is it worth it. And yeah. so I think when we get over ourselves going, oh, it's going to be happily ever after, it's just not the case. Right. And so we put this article up because I think it's anything Keller writes, I think is worth reading. But man, it's it's really good. Well, coming up next, we're talking about how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus and provide life-saving food for children in Central America and in the Caribbean. We're going to have that conversation next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are excited uh, mm-hmm. to be joined by Todd Chapman, an old friend of ours from Food for the Poor. Hey, who are you calling old? Exactly. <laughs> Man, exactly. Good start We're calling here, we? you old, Todd. There you go. There I, you go. I received that. <laughs> Todd is a is a friend of years. How about we put it that way? And uh, here at friend of years, there you I like go. that. There you go. Here at AM 1160, we partner with Food for the Poor to give food, give hope, give life. That is what we're trying to do. Uh, and before we hear from Todd, let me give you some of the specifics, because our goal uh, is to provide 312 children with six months of life-saving food. And here's all it takes. Your gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. That's not $37 a month. That's your gift of $37. So do the math. $74 will feed two children for six months. $185 will feed five children for six months. And so here's what you do. If you want to be part of this, of helping feed children in Central America and the Caribbean, you can call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. Todd, it's so good to catch up with you. Uh, can you give us just a, a overall picture of the landscape? We've had hurricanes. We've had a pandemic. Paint a picture of what is uh, really going on in Central America and in the Caribbean. Yeah, so it's, you know, this is the side of the COVID-19 story that we uh, haven't heard a lot about in the U.S. because, frankly, we've just kind of been... Uh, understandably, I think, you know, focused on how it's impacted us here in the U.S. Uh, but there's a whole another side of the COVID-19 story, and that is how it's impacting people in the poorest countries around the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember being on a conference call last spring, last uh, April, when COVID was just beginning to uh, take, uh, you know, take the world by storm. And uh, it was a conference call with leaders in the nonprofit space from charities all around the world. And they said, look, the biggest impact of COVID-19 is it's going to create a food shortage, a food mm-hmm. crisis. Wow. And they were predicting that hundreds of millions of more people than were already hungry before COVID would slip into hunger and starvation. Mm. And uh, sadly, that has really you know, come true in the 17 countries where food for the poor works throughout Central America and uh, and the Caribbean. I mean, we're talking about Haiti, which is the poorest country in this side of the world, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, again, some of the poorest countries in the world right here in our backyard. We've seen that happen. Uh, these families that already were struggling just to keep their kids fed during normal times during COVID-19 because of having to quarantine and because of not being able to go to work and not being able to go to the market, work in the fields, all the things they did to keep their families fed, all that went away. Mm. All of that went away during COVID-19. And so mm. hunger has truly turned into into starvation. And in some areas, it's famine. And so that's why we're so excited. I'm grateful for the opportunity to come here 
uh, before the 1160 Hope for Your Life family and just invite you to to make a difference, to be the the miracle of food in these families' lives. And uh, Brian, you nailed it, $37, six months of life-saving food for one child, two meals a day, delivered by a pastor, by a local church. So it's wrapped in the gospel. It's wrapped mm. in the loving arms of a pastor, which opens mm. all sorts of really cool doors for them to minister to these families during this difficult time. And uh, so you can make all that happen. Phone number is 855 855- 901-4673-855-901-4673, online at 1160hope.com. Click on the Food for the Poor banner. But one more important thing here, uh, we got a very generous friend coming alongside, and they're going to double whatever the 1160 Amen. Hope audience does. That is awesome. That's so cool. So $37 actually is going to rescue two kids. And, mm. you know, look, you can do math. I'm not going to yes. do the math for you. <laughs> that is so that is so powerful. Todd, I'm a mom of three, right? And I, I have yeah. my heart just breaks hearing these stories and thinking about what it must be like to be a mom, mm. praying to God that someone will provide food. Tell us some stories about how Food for the Poor has met those needs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've been working in these countries for nearly 40 years. Food for the Poor is going to be 40 years old next year. And so we've got a lot of experience ministering to these poor families. And as I said earlier, you know, on a normal time, these families struggle to to feed their kids. I mean, you know, in Haiti, you're lucky if you can make a couple dollars a day. Mm. Uh, in Guatemala, it's not much better. And so it's always a struggle for these families. But now because of COVID, it's so much worse. So imagine a mom who, and I, I've, I've talked to moms who they tell me, you know, they say at night, I can't sleep because I'm so worried about my babies. And I walk around my hut in the middle of the night, in the dark hours when fear is so prevalent. And, uh, you know, I've had mom say, I lay my hand on the, on the chest and backs of my kids to make sure they're still breathing. Mm. And, you know, that fear has gotten so much worse. And imagine the helplessness. That's the thing I think about a lot too. You know, in America, we're so self-sufficient, right? It's like, and we've got safety nets. We've got the government, we've got the church, we've got all of these people that can come to our aid if things go really bad. They don't have any of that. Yeah. You know, in the developing world, you are the safety net. You really are. I believe this with all my heart. The church in America is the safety net for so many of our brothers and sisters uh, in these poor countries. And so really hoping and praying that you'll respond. But, you know, guys, there's one more, as if the, all of this is not kind of bleak enough, I got to share one more aspect of this that's making their life terrible, especially in Central America. On the heels last year of COVID, you might recall two massive hurricanes Mm -hmm. hit back to back right there on the coast of Honduras. And uh, so, you know, they're just maybe beginning to get back on their feet. And now suddenly two hurricanes that come along and destroyed homes and croplands. As a matter of fact, I got a piece of audio here that I want to share. This is uh, from uh, a woman named Linda. She's with Saputo, which is our ministry partner in Honduras. Listen to this. 75% or more of the crops in Honduras are gone. Big ones, small ones are gone. So these people that used to help the neighbors cannot help them because now they are as poor as the one next door. So we have to depend on the aid that comes from outside, international aid, like the one that comes from USA, like the one that comes from Food for the Poor and the donors. Because here, there's no way. We got to a point that we dropped so low in our incomes, in the crops, in in the housing, in everything. We lost everything. Mm. 
Yeah. So you, you can just imagine, you know, Aubrey, to your point, uh, yeah. man, how much, how much, how must these parents and kids uh, be feeling right now? But hey, we have this amazing opportunity to make yes. a difference that's today. Right. And that's, that's what we right. hope you'll do. That's right. So again, your gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. But oh, Todd told us a generous benefactor is going to double that. So now it's going to feed two children. It's amazing. And again, you do the math, $74, a hundred. You could give whatever it is you could give. Just know that money is going to literally change lives. It's going to feed children. It feed children. It's going to transform families. And that's why uh, here at AM 1160, we feel so passionate about partnering with Food for the Poor to give food, give hope, and give life. So let me give you that number again. It's 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE, 855-901-4673. Or you could go to 1160hope.com, click on the Food for the Poor banner. Again, that's 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. As we've often talked about on the show, whether with Food for the Poor or with others, our, many of us here in the West, our goal is, our, our hope is like, how can I make a difference in the world? How can mm-hmm. my money make a difference in the world? How can I do anything that has a lasting impact rather than just spending my money on myself or whatever else it might be? I can promise you this is a great opportunity for you to help feed children who will starve without this food. So one more time, the number is 855-901-4673, 855-901-HOPE, or go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. And Todd, uh, we're glad to still have you with us. Uh, I'm always fascinated when we talk to you guys about how the food gets into the hands of families and and of kids. Help people understand, okay, I make this gift over here mm-hmm. and somehow it turns into food over there. Help us uh, understand that process a little better. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. And I know a lot of people uh, are looking for that answer. So first of all, understand we've been doing this a long time, 40 years of, uh, of working in most of the 17 countries that we're now in. Actually, God's opened the doors in, uh, to a couple new countries in the last five to 10 years, but oh, that's awesome. been doing this a long, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. And, and so in that period of time, God has blessed us with some amazing partnerships and we've just learned a lot. You know, you, you tend to learn stuff the longer you do something. And, but one of the things that we figured out early on, uh, was that we wanted what Food for the Poor did to be more than just humanitarian aid. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of organizations, secular and faith-based, that do that. We wanted to make sure that people understood the why, the why behind what you know what we were trying to do to help them. And the why for us as followers of Jesus is the Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, 300 verses in the Bible that command us to serve our poor brothers and sisters. And so mm-hmm. we knew that uh, the best way to do that, because we can't, uh, understand that Food for the Poor doesn't have employees in all 17 of these countries. We actually work with partner organizations to help distribute the food and actually do a lot of the work on the ground. And we just figured out early on that, you know what, the best way to do that is going to be to work with the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that that really is the calling of the church and the people in the church uh, in these countries. And so you've got all these pastors, you know, tens of thousands of pastors across all these countries, and they just have such a heart to minister to their fellow countrymen, people in their communities. 
But look, they're just as poor as the people they're trying to help. Mm. And so we started coming alongside those pastors. And so when you give your $37 or Brian, I love what you said, $37 a month, because there's a lot of people that can and will do that. I know, Um, you know, what that does is you, you would enable us to ship food over, get it to a local pastor. And he in turn distributes it to these families in his community. And it's been kind of cool because during COVID, uh, you know, like so many other people, we kind of had to change the way we do things because normally we'd have people come to a feeding center to get the food. We had to start taking it out to them in their homes because they couldn't come outside. Mm. And so that's actually been kind of cool because it's opened up the doors for these pastors to go into people's homes and actually just become a little bit more, I don't know, intimate, I guess, and, and familiar with these families in their home. And so sure. that's a really cool, cool. Uh, you know, byproduct of this. So, yeah, so that's the way the the, the, the Food for the Poor does it. But, man, I got to just under underscore again, without you, without your compassion, your love, your generosity, nothing happens. Nothing that's good right. happens. Right. You are the critical part in this. So, And I want to, if I could for a second, guys, I would love for you to hear, you know, it's one thing to hear me blabber on about this, <laughs> uh, you know, as a – as an old guy here in America, but I want you to hear from uh, one of the people that you're helping. Uh, this is a mom that I met in Guatemala uh, on my last trip there, which was last January, January of 2020, right before COVID came on the scene. And uh, this is a mom ma- named Marta. Uh, you're going to hear from her and then you're going to uh, hear from a pastor friend of mine that we took with us. Uh, and I just want you to hear about the need, but also the impact and the faith of these people. So listen to this. When it comes a time and there is no food, how does she help the children get through that when they when their stomachs are, are empty? I tell them that today we cannot eat, but uh, another day we will have food. Yeah, we need to work in order to, to have food to put in our plates. When she prays, what does she pray to God for? I ask God for help for my children and to give us bread to have uh, each day something to eat. Listening to testimony of some of the residents brings you to tears to know that people are suffering, but in the same breath, they still possess a hope and a belief that God is going to rescue them. So even though I might cry as to their plight, I'm encouraged that even in the midst of what they're going through, that they maintain a faith and a belief that God will come to see about me. And I think one of the ladies said that whatever God starts, he will finish and God would not let us be out here and not come and get us. So that lets me know that wherever you are, God's going to come and get you. I think the powerful thing about that clip, Todd, is that we can actually be the hands and feet of Jesus right now mm-hmm. and answer that mom's prayer. I mean, I'm getting emotional mm-hmm. listening to that because I've seen families. I, My husband and I have lived overseas. We have seen food poverty at its worst. We have seen starvation. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of these situations. But now you're saying it's worse than ever before because of the impact mm-hmm. of the hurricane. And so listeners, this is a moment where you can literally answer this woman's prayer Mm -hmm. with $37 a month, $37 one time providing food for six months. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's so tangible. That's so manageable. And that makes such a profound difference. Again, you can join us and help feed children in Central America and the Caribbean by calling 855-901-4673. Again, that's 855-901-HOPE. Or you can go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And Todd, I'm curious, uh, one of the powerful things also is like, hey, people give and help. Uh, but then uh, where this really becomes powerful, because a lot of us, you know, we think about what's in it for me. Uh, could you speak to that out there, the difference it makes in our lives when we use our money and our resources in order to help people in need? What effect do you believe that has on us back here? Well, I, I, you know, I can speak for how uh, giving has changed my life personally and my family's life. And so, I, you know, I, I think it applies to pretty much everybody because God has kind of wired us all the same, right? Uh, you know, God is the ultimate giver. And mm-hmm. so I, I just don't think we're ever more like Jesus than when we're giving, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be giving of our money or of our time uh, of, or of our talents. God created us and has blessed us so abundantly. And he loves it when we pass that along and give us away uh, gives it, and give it away. I mean, I heard a pastor say, and I think this preaches, right? Said, uh, <laughs> God, you know, God didn't make us to be, uh, he made us to be rivers, not uh, reservoirs. Mm. And uh, I love that, man. And, and, you know, in my experience, the more that my my wife and I give, whether, again, of our income or our time, the more God refreshes us and he gives us the desire and the capacity to give even more. Mm. And so that's that's my heart for giving. And I would also say this, and, and this might be a little bit tougher right now because of what we've just come through. But on the other hand, maybe it's not. Maybe this is the perfect time to point this out. Uh, gratitude is, is an outgrowth of I'm sorry, generosity is an outgrowth of gratitude. Mm. And so I think if we really reflect on the blessings in our life and just really, I mean, really just dwell on that for a couple minutes, just stop and think about things that we can so easily take for granted, food, shelter, safety, health, jobs, right? And just just realize that, man, God has been so good to, to us, to me. Yeah. And then you just say, God, thank you. And what would you have me do with a small part of what you've given to me? And I think when that's our posture, then it makes it really not only easy, but man, it just feels so good to give. Absolutely. So again, here's what we're asking you to do, our common good listeners, uh, is call 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. Or you can go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor Banner. Our goal is to provide 312 children with six months of life-saving food. And your one-time gift of $37 will feed a child for six months. But now because that gift is being matched, uh, there's an urgency there to, to get your money in while it's being matched. It will feed two children for six months. Uh, and, and the gift goes on and on. But here's what we would do. We would ask you to stretch yourself. What's not what's the minimum you can do, but but what's the maximum? What's the maximum amount of children that you can help feed uh, these kids who need food in Central America and the Caribbean? So that number one more time is 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE or go to 1160hope.com and click on the Food for the Poor banner. Todd, it's great to talk to you again, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for so coming on. Thanks for being here, Todd. And, and sharing yeah, thanks, this opportunity. Yeah. Have a great day, Appreciate buddy. Appreciate it. All right. You too. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Hope that you are doing well. We try to end the show with some good news, some things to put some smiles on our faces 
to make us feel good, to inspire us. Uh, and so Scott McKnight, McKnight writes at Christianity Today under the blog heading Jesus Creed, a blog by Scott McKnight. Uh, and you found a little part of this uh, this week, and you just wrote, oh, some good news in Chicago. Yeah, Why don't I love you tell this. us the story? This is a from Chicago Scott McKnight. story that he shared an Uber driver by the name of Mike Busson, or Busson, I might be saying the last name wrong, but he was surprised with a cash reward Thursday. This guy actually rushed a drive by shooting victim to a nearby hospital, but then he declined the reward and opted to give the money to the victim. Um, the guy was dropping off a fare somewhere near Clark and Roosevelt late Tuesday night. He heard a crash. He found the two brothers. One was suffering from a gunshot wound, and he raced without hesitation to the hospital. He said he must have hit 100 miles per hour, which in like that area of the city, that's not yes. easy to do, right? And um, unfortunately, the shooting victim remains on a ventilator because he lost so much blood. But still, this Uber dryer may have been part of saving his life. So I loved that story. Just good neighboring at its best. So let's talk about that. There is a downside to that story, as you said. I like how you kind of got past, like, uh, guy's still on a ventilator. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's not great. Uh, two, his name has to be Bussin if he's an Uber, Uber driver. Hey, I'm bussing people to the hospital. <laughs> it's yeah, gotta be that. you're right. But a really cool story that that the guy, you know, you want to be careful, right? And not say, hey, do good things because things will come back to you. People will give you good things back. But that's obviously not why he did it, because he gave away the money and he gave it to the family. But there is something to be said about kind of watching for people to do good things and then kind of paying it forward and going, how can we bless this person? Uh, How can we share with this person? So two big questions for you. Uh, one, would you have driven the person to the hospital in that situation? Two, would you have kept the money? Um, I want honesty. Yeah, I was just thinking, would I drive the person to the hospital? I think I would. I would be a nervous wreck to do it. It would take all of me to even like walk over to the site, especially after hearing a gunshot. I mean, let's say, did I get past like running away? Let's start with that. You know, because had I heard the sound, I may have just ducked and ran. But let's say I stayed. I saw the victim. I certainly would have said, "Okay, let's go. I would have done it with a lot of fear and trembling. I'm not going to lie. Just being a woman in that situation feels very vulnerable to me, Mm -hmm. right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I probably would have kept the money. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a jerk or am I justified? We should talk about that sometime. Oh, now that is a good one because my, our, my old co-host, your predecessor, Ian Simpkins, yes. used to try to uh, guilt the heck out of me because one time I said that if I, we did a story about somebody coming upon like a hundred thousand dollars on the road, yes, and they returned. No, 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 no. This was it. Somebody bought a couch at like a Goodwill. Oh, okay. And realized, like, somehow there was a rip in it, and they were going to, like, reupholster it or something, and tore it off, and there was a $100,000 hidden inside the couch Stop cushions. Stop it. Or something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, and Ian thought I was the worst person in the world. Because you said you would have kept the money? 100%. I would have totally kept the money, too. And then I think we did another story where someone came upon money out on a street. Yeah. And I was like... Finders keepers, man. Yeah, I mean, you can donate it, part of it to the church, but like you're also going on vacation, right? If I tithe it, I'm good. <laughs> right? Okay. I want to know what you would do in this situation. Would you drive the guy to the hospital? Would you keep the... I think you would keep the money. We've already learned that about you. So I would have driven... Interesting part of the story. The guys didn't hear the gunshots. What they He heard a crash. Mm. A guy gets shot. They crash. Mm. You hear the crash. Once you're there, you're kind of... You can't go away. Oh, like, oh you, you got a gunshot. Yeah. I'm out of here. No, no, no. You have to do the right so thing. So I there. do think I would have done that. Um, 
I would have kept the money and not felt badly about it. I th- I think I would have kept it but felt guilty about it. Why would you have felt guilty about it? I don't know, because I think probably it should go back to the family. This guy's recovering from a gunshot wound. Yep. Okay. okay. You know, and then you're really not a good Samaritan if you're taking money, right? You're supposed to pay for the guy to stay at the inn and clothe him and feed him. Well, but I didn't do it to get the <laughs> good money. Good point. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. I yeah, that yeah, in yeah. order to get the money. Let's close it out this way. Uh Talk to our people out there. I like how, I like to refer to them as our people. Talk to our people out there. About, our common gooders, goodies. About when they do good. Yes. When they look for ways to serve others. Yes. When they are charitable. Uh, help people understand the effect that can mm. and likely will have in their own life. Oh, that's a great question. I feel like the question of being a good neighboring is really about faithfulness to God. Right? Mm. And so... It's not a question, does God love you? Yes. Whether or not you're a good neighbor, yes, God loves you. It is a question of faithfulness and then fruitfulness. You will see fruit in your life because of your obedience to Mm -hmm. be a good neighbor. I don't know what that fruit will look like. It may not be a monetary reward, but somehow God will bless you um, by you experiencing fruitfulness because you have obeyed him and taken that step of faith to be a good neighbor neighbor. What do you think, Brian? I think you brought up a valid point and an important one is uh, the, the one thing the prosperity gospel has done to us is to believe that if I give this, I get more in return. Right. If I do this, I get more in return. A lot of times if you give $5 away to the church, to a needy person, to whatever else, you should be $5 poor. Yeah. But the question is, as I am modeling how Jesus lived, that kind of sacrifice, uh, that kind of generosity uh, as I take a posture of generosity, even if I, it leaves me with less stuff or less money or whatever, am I going to be, am I going to experience blessing because of that? And the Bible seems very clear that, yes, you will be blessed. It, yep. will, it will bring with it contentment. It will bring with it joy. And I, here's the here's the interesting thing, Aubrey. I feel like we get this. The couple times in your life probably where you've been the most generous, I'll bet you you didn't live to regret that. Oh, absolutely not. I'll I, bet you at no point were you like, Oh, I sure gosh, wish I was. wasn't generous. <laughs> never, I mean, like, never, oh, yeah. what I could have done with that, right. you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. Right. And so if that's the case, I think the people who really get that, it's like become ingrained in them to go, okay, then I'm going to look for, I think this is when you've made the flip, when it's like, I'm going to actively search out opportunities to be generous, generous with my time, my money, yeah, my fa- whatever great. else it might be, because I always think our natural bent is going to be towards ourselves. Sure. And Which just is go, why we would take the money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I think I'm justified in that. But uh, it, it is, I think that is our natural bend. So we wanted to end with that story, put a smile on your face, but also challenge you, uh, challenge ourselves to go out there and look for opportunities uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Kind of what we talked about with Todd Chapman from yep. Food for the Poor. Look for opportunities. Uh, to be good to other people. Well, it's been a great day. It's a fun birthday show, mostly. Yeah, what because, are you going to do tonight for your birthday? Uh, going to go out to dinner? You know what? I bet you we are going to drive through somewhere and go to our son's baseball game, which feels fun to me. Good. Like some people are like, oh, baseball game on your birthday? I'm like, no, I think That's I would That's what you'd like want to do, do on that. your birthday. Well, good. Yeah, if I could go find a bag of Amish licorice or maybe some Garrett's popcorn candy, I think I'll be good to go. <laughs> Or Just some great now, something. I'm Just allowed to. It's my mean. birthday. I'll You're right. Stop You're right. It's your birthday. I'll stop tomorrow. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Coming back tomorrow. Come join us from four until six for Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. You have been listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.